Welcome to another edition of the Hopeful Radio Podcast, dedicated to your well-being. At age 40, Teresa Greco woke up one day and, despite having a beautiful home and family, realized something was wrong. She felt unfulfilled and empty. In this powerful interview with host Stefan Zakowski, the certified life coach, author, and motivational speaker, explains how we can all learn to stop seeking approval from others and instead connect with the inner happiness that is forever present. Here is part one of our two-part conversation that is sure to make you think. So let's start uh, with the introduction. I have with me today an exceptional and versatile individual who is a certified life coach, founder of Steps to Happiness Coaching, co-author and author of three best-selling self-help books, editor and senior writer at two Canadian magazines, an educator, an educational technologies consultant, what a mouthful, (laughs) a trained recce master, and the host of internet TV and radio show called The Steps to Happiness Show with Teresa Greco. It's my pleasure to be speaking with you today. Teresa Greco, welcome. Thank you so much. I am so excited for our chat today. So I know that you are about happiness and spirituality. And what I'd like to start with is where did your journey begin. Give me the details. Walk me through where it started. What was the catalyst? What was that driving moment, that that eureka that said, this is a path you need to be taking? Thank you. Well, for me, it was the milestone of turning 40 that had me taking a step back and reevaluating my life, had me asking some questions that maybe some of you have asked as well, such as, am I happy living the life I am living? Is there more to life than just this? Am I living my life's true potential and purpose here on earth? And it was in the asking of those questions that made me realize that although my life looked perfect on the outside, that it had checked off all the boxes that society, culture, family, religion tell you that you need to have a happy life. So very fulfilling career, beautiful, healthy family, our own home, cars in the driveway, vacations a year, lots of beautiful material things. So how is it that if I've achieved all of these things, I still felt unhappy and unfulfilled and that it didn't matter what I did, how much more education I got, how much more job experience, how much more I tried to be of myself in order to be of service to others. I always felt that there was this void and there's something missing in my life. And so that also confused me and basically started on my path um, to, which is, as I said, 10 years ago um, to where I am today. Right. And was you were talking about you had your career already in place. Now, that career would be your, uh, your educational background, correct? That you had yeah. been 25 years as an educator. You were an educational technologies consultant. I take it that that's the place you were at at that point in time. Had you started your recce work? Had that been part of the lifestyle that you were in before you made the decision? Or was it merely it's the educational background, uh, the educational work, the educational technologies consultant? That's where you were at at the time? Yes, living my life as just the human experience. Right. I had not yet connected with my spiritual self. Although I was brought up Catholic and religious and always had a connection to God, 
it is not the connection that I have with God and myself now. Um, and I know I think we have some intentions of going into this, um, yes. which is where you know God was kept outside of me. So me living the human experience is achieving and earning and doing all of those things. As I said, that family, cultural religion tell you that you need. This is what life on earth is. You get up, you go to work, you come home, you go to sleep, you eat in between, and you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And that like, this is what life on earth is. And then I think we, we, the universe will fix it in such a way that we will have crossroads. We will meet those crossroads that will cause us to reflect and take that step back. And sometimes it's illness for people. Sometimes it's death. Sometimes it's a loss of a relationship something for me it was that milestone thank god it wasn't anything you know more than that but it was that idea that if i had lived half my life what would i want the other half to look like right and so it was it in that and then the kind of next steps that that took place that basically started me on the path that i that i'm on now okay and i noticed that the examples that you gave of, of crossroads they all appear to have sort of a negative connotation now is it possible that some crossroads that you run into could be extremely positive ones that give you a new perspective on life that then make you realize that all of these things don't have as much value as the things that you're experiencing now because of a positive let i'll give you an example let's say an individual they've been living the life the way they have much in the same way that you did you wake up you work you eat you go to sleep and let's say they won a lottery Whoa, life changes for them. But in that life change, they also experience this sense of self-realization that, hey, this can't be all that life is because now I don't have work. So my pattern has changed considerably. Is there something more? Is there something different? Is there something? So I'm what I'm throwing out there is, are there good, impactful crossroads that you come across that can also take you in a positive direction, in a new on a new journey that allows you to see the world the way you're describing um, in your books and in the work that you do now. Mm -hmm. And I think that a great example of that would be COVID, right? And that for some people, COVID was, has been a great time that I too have been in my happiness bubble. It's been a wonderful time. And that people have, they said that, oh my goodness, that because of that, they now had more time with their family that they didn't have before, that they had time to pursue interests that they didn't have time for before, and that they really, really had an opportunity to wake up to the autopilot that was running their life because now there was this, this pause. And so for some people, it went in the negative. Not everybody could speak about positive, I mean, COVID mm -hmm. in a positive way. Right. But I think that for those that uh, perhaps embraced it for those that maybe were were ready for a change, but just needed something like that to shake it up. So I don't think it it has to necessarily be the negative things. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of times we learn through the negative. Like, I wish it wasn't like that, but we learn through challenge and adversity. Right. Um, I always say that I, I could spare myself the challenge and adversity, like, tell me what you learned through the experience. So I don't have to go through it. Like, I don't have, I don't have this mentality to say, no, it won't be like that for me. You know, that'll never happen. No, no, you tell me what I what you learned so that I don't have to go through that challenge, I can learn through you. Right. Um, but I think it's like reaching that low point in your life. And that's what that was for me. And I didn't talk to anyone about it. Because for fear of rejection, 
for fear of judgment. Teresa, what do you have to complain about? Your life looks perfect. So how is it that on the outside, it looks like that, yet on the inside, it was the lowest point of my life? Right. So a question, there's actually two parts to that from what you've just said. One of them is related to where you were in your life in the sense that you were an educator, educational consultant. Uh, Is it that your experience, your calling, shall we say, as an educator that drove you to this perspective of, I need to share my wisdom on happiness. I need to be somebody who presents this information for other people because I don't want to just do this for myself. Now, a lot of people would go through the experience that you did, find that happiness journey and say, this is where I want to be and not have any thought in their head that they're going to share this with anybody else. They've just, they found themselves, they're on the path and they're moving forward and they're happy. And you, you'll see them on the street. They've got this glow about them, this smile on their face. They look like they are in the place they need to be, but they don't tell you how they got there. They don't, hey, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And they keep walking. You've taken a path of, I'm going to share this with others. I'm going to be uh, a role model, shall we say, for others. So is it because of that background that you have, or was it something else that drove you to giving the information away? Well, it's giving it away, but sharing it with others. So that aspect of it is, is it the experience you're calling, or is it something else? I believe that it is part of my purpose here that I am a teacher by prof- by profession, but I am that as a person, and I have been that in other past lifetimes. I have right. been a, a healer and a teacher. So it is something that there are strengths inside of me that I have brought into this lifetime that existed for me in other lifetimes that my soul has these strengths and these gifts. And so it has allowed me the opportunity to talk about concepts that I'm very passionate about and having that background as an educator, as a consultant, where you know, I've worked with groups of students, parents, educators across Canada as a certified Google trainer, Microsoft trainer, taught large groups of people. And so my, I have a, I have a big goal. And my goal is, is to basically be able to teach workshops and to do speaking engagements with large groups to be able to share this message of happiness that I have come to understand, yes, through my own practice, but a lot of it has been guided by spirit. And so I know that, um, so it, it's like twofold. I know that on a, on a soul level, I am being guided to do this. This is part of my big purpose. Um, but also because of my background, I naturally like to teach and I like, and I naturally like to share information. I didn't at first, obviously, obviously, because this is hard. This is hard stuff to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about the low point in their life, but you realize that the more that you share and you have the opportunity to help people through your story that you heal. I have healed in this, in the sharing of my story. And there's still parts of it that bring me to tears when I do, because there are those, those sore spots, those, those things that trigger. And, you know, that even though I've worked through a lot of it, it, they still hurt, right? It's those, those trauma um, areas of your life that but it gets easier. The more you share, the more you talk about it. And the more I know that people are connecting with my message. And I know that I'm not alone in how I felt like that's why I didn't share for a long time. It's like, 
who am I to say? But now that I talk about it openly, many people here in North America that have the type of life that we have, where we're so conditioned to look outside of ourselves for that. How do we, I mean, I think at the base of everything we do, we want to be happy. So that's, you know, that was kind of like the centering thing for me, but we're conditioned to look outside of ourselves for, for happiness, for love, for acceptance, for status, for reverence, you know, that's why we're so caught up in our titles, in our positions, our possessions, lots of different things. We define ourselves by the, by these external, um, the word to say to those, I guess an external checklist of items that we're supposed to achieve and earn and, and all of this in order to, to have what we're looking for. And a lot of times it's just love from other people, but. Right. And it's sort of like we're, we're basing our existence and what we are on an external locus. We're not focused on the internal locus, which is where it should be. Correct. I'm, I'm assuming that what your message is, is that the true happiness, the true love comes from within before it is experienced without. So outside of oneself. So instead of focusing, which we have been the blind rat race run of that cycle of life, we're always looking outside of ourselves to the external locus for that gratification that we're doing well, we're happy because the outside world says, oh, you must be happy. You must be happy. You have everything. You're happy. Um, this brings me to the question about, and I know we talked about it before, uh, because your your perspective on the theory of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is different because it's there's another individual that you speak of that's a more reflective of the message that you give. But I'm I'm focusing on the idea that you reached that, uh, and I'll look at my message, the self uh, achievement and the the um, the esteem and respect components of Maslow that you were there, and that's when you did the introspection and saw no, I don't have what I need, I don't have what I want in these areas. I need to find it. This is this is supposed to be good. I have my house, I have my cars, I have my kids, I have a family that's healthy, I have my health, and yet I have nothing. Internally, I'm not seeing these things as being positive. I'm seeing these things as things, but there's something missing. Now, I know you want to, we talked about another individual who's uh, work with the cups that you fill, and it is very, it's, it's separated. It's not a stack as Maslow produced it, but it's a series of cups or bowls that need to be filled to get you to a place of, of happiness, a place of self, self-respect. And if you could go into the de details about that and how, where you were before you made the change, made the decision that you need to move towards happiness, where were you in the beginning? So I'm assuming you had some empty cups. If you could give me the details on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, really the biggest empty cup was me having lost myself in the living of my life. That how does somebody get to 40 and not really know who she is because she's been living her life according to external expectations for who she's supposed to be. So me trying to be the perfect mom, perfect wife, perfect daughter, perfect daughter-in-law, perfect employee, perfect friend, living up to external expectations for who I was supposed to be in all of those different areas yeah. and not, and not knowing who I really was. I was so caught up in external, in that external wearing many different masks that I I refer I refer to it like cloak like cloaks that 
all of these people put a cloak over my eyes that it's like, okay, you're going to behave like this. This is what it means to be a good teacher. This is what it means. And it blinded myself to who I really was. And so in this process, it has been really a taking off and unveiling of all of those masks, the the clearing of the glasses, the same thing that they were like all fogged up. I couldn't really see myself or the world the way that it really was. And so through the, and the universe has very gently, and it will do this for all of us. When we are ready, it will present us the opportunities for us to, to learn from those opportunities. Um, And so that it helped me to remove those masks to constantly be discovering more and more about who I really am. And which I know maybe this is hard. And if you don't want to go into the details, that's uh, completely understandable. Which of the veils, which of the masks were the hardest to remove? That's a really good question. (laughs) Because I can understand having the expectations of, of work and the expectations of some colleagues of who you were supposed to be. And that's an easy one to pull away because you go, and they just want me to be this way, but I know who I am. But then there are others that you feel have basically been ingrained. And you're saying, I mean, you mentioned that a good daughter was the daughter mask hard to pull off because you realized, but I was only doing this for their benefit. That wasn't who I actually wanted to be. Were there any that were harder to remove than others? I think the ones closest to you are the ones that are that are the hardest. Um, and that would be, you know, who I was with, with my family. Um, and I'm going to say extended family because I think at at home with, with my kids and, and my spouse that I was able to be like more me. But then it's like extend, extended family to my mom, to my parents, to my in-laws, um, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, like when you start to just extend a little bit outside of that, I think with my, you know, just because day-to-day happens, you're frustrated, you're angry, whatever, you can kind of like feel more free to to let loose if you need to. Um, but I think outside of that. So when I began to connect with the love inside of me that I had been searching for outside of myself my entire life, and that's where the expectations came in why why did i want to fulfill those expectations because i was looking for love outside of me but when i connected to that love inside is when i was like wow i'm not loving myself the way that i need to and when you do really love yourself it means that you honor and you respect yourself i didn't know that i was wearing all of the different masks it was only until i started to peel them off did I realize that I had been wearing many masks because I was all I would be caught up in all of that as all of as all of us are caught up right. in living the, a life that we've been conditioned here to live. We have certain paradigms that we operate under programming that you know has been put into us from like little kids that shapes the way that we we view ourselves and the and the way we view the world and who will ever maybe will be in this world and so you're not you don't even realize it because it's it's ingrained inside inside of your subconscious so it's only until i started to awaken to who i was by taking off the layers that did did i become aware of how i had been living 
And so many of us don't even know. We just, we know we're unhappy, but we really don't even know why. And so because we tie happiness to the external, we think, well, maybe if I, if I move up, you know, in pay grade, I'll be happier. Maybe if, when I find that perfect person, I'll be happy. Maybe when I have more, uh, I've achieved that degree, I'll be happier. Maybe when I go on that vacation that I've always wanted to, I'll be happier. And so we, we have it tied to our possessions, our positions, titles, degrees, relationships, and experiences. We think happiness is in all of those things, but we realize that once we've attained them, we might feel good for a little bit. And then all of a sudden we go back to feeling unhappy. And so unfortunately, society has an idea of happiness where it is like, it's here, it's not here. It's, it's there for a little bit and then it's gone. No, true inner happiness is something that is available for us to connect to that is in abundance within us, just like love and peace. Is, it is in abundance. We just don't make time to connect with it. We don't know that it exists inside of us because, again, we're not conditioned to connect with that place inside of us, which is really our spiritual self which ties back to like your original question about like, you know, how were you just living? And it was like, I didn't know about connecting to the spiritual self. And many of us don't because, you know, it was considered maybe weird and woo woo. Um, I'm happy to, to, to hear that, you know, meditation, for example, is becoming, you know, more common practice. And, and there is like, you know, some language and some lingo and, and some new things that are popping up that are, helping people to realize that 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 is an aspect of ourselves that we just, as I said, aren't conditioned to even know about or or know how to connect to. Right. So when you began your journey, your internal journey, um, you talk about that you you started discovering that you didn't know that you had these masks on. So where did these the, the, the principles or the practices, the tools that you use to get you to that place, where did they come from? How did you discover them? How did they come to you? So it is like, as I said, the universe ever so gently brings you along and provides you with, it's like that teacher when, sorry, that uh, saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's exactly like that, that when I have been ready, that teacher that practice, that principle has somehow come across my plate, whether it was in a book, whether it was in a podcast, whether it was in an individual, that they were there. And because I had I had reached my low point, mm -hmm. that then I became open to receiving guidance from all of these different sources. And so I think that that's a key point that sometimes in that low point, people are now ready to start accepting help. And are recognizing that that they're suffering and that they can only go up from here. And so at that, are they then open and willing to say, okay, maybe I should try this? And I'm speaking about a friend of mine who, you know, he had had opportunities to have therapy um, to work through some of his trauma, but had like rejected it. And so, you know, well, he's a man and I don't need any help. And, you know, oh, you must be like sick if you need a therapist. Like, you know, a lot of these, you know, thoughts around what it means to go and, and seek help from a professional. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, that's why I think coaching is a little bit different than, than traditional uh, therapy, let's say. But uh, nevertheless, when he reached his low point, he all of a sudden was like, you know what? I think I need help. And so, you know, same thing with like, you know, alcohol and um, 
anonymous and things like that, that it's like, okay, I've lost my family. I've lost my job. Like, it's like, I think now maybe I'm going to be a little bit more open to help. So um, it has been many, many different individuals, books. um, Yeah. Different resources. Do you recall the first stepping stone that moved you in that direction? The very first thing, apart from when you hit that bottom and you started to realize I need something, do you recall what the very first stepping stone was that got you on your trajectory? Thank you. It was meditation. Really? So I went, this is again, 10 years ago. Um, I was asking God, praying. I'm like, I need help. I have all these questions. I don't know what to do. So I went to a medium. And I said, I have a stack of books on my nightstand, me wanting to hear from God, because I have questions. I have, I need help with things. And she said, spirit is telling me that you need to meditate. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to do it. And so uh, luckily for me, there was a meditation center directly across the street from my Catholic church. And so I called them up and I said, spirit is telling me to meditate. I don't know what that is. And they said, well, you can come. We have this monthly circle and we can help you to get started. And they will tell you that every time I went for an entire year, I cried because it was like my higher self. And, and I'm, you know, we could call it source energy, the, the divine universe, God, doesn't matter that it's all the same thing. I've been wanting and trying to speak with me my entire life but I just didn't know how to connect with that. And so I knew how to pray. I was taught to, you know, to talk to God and ask for help and be thankful and all of that. But meditation is where you quiet yourself enough so that your higher self can speak to you or spirit can speak to you or, you know, whoever it is that might be, might be coming through your angels, your guides, you know, whatever that inspiration is going to come through through that process, but it's quieting yourself enough to just, uh, to be able to hear that. And so um, when I first started, I, I was so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, it's opened up an entire like new world to me. And uh, I wanted to share it with my, like people that were closest to me. And it was like, Teresa, like, you're part of a cult. This is this is weird. Like, what are you doing? You need to stop. And so it's at that point that I realized, okay, this is, you know, most times being on a spiritual path or journey is a solitary one. Um, and so I am happy to hear that, you know, as I said, meditation is more of a buzzword and, oh, yeah, I do it. I do it. I'm like, oh, thank God, because 10 years ago wasn't so cool. <laughs> <laughs> That people are becoming a little bit more open to to hearing about these things. So I say that meditation is that gateway practice that helps you to connect with a part of yourself that we're not taught to connect to. Right. So you spoke about that it was across the church, across the street, the meditation center across the street from your church. You are Catholic, mm-hmm. but you also speak of spirituality. So what I'd like to know from you is what is spirituality from you and how does it differ from religion for you? Thank you. So yes, I have distanced myself from organized religion because there were always there were always things in my religion that I, I didn't agree with. And it was it's like man-made, human-made doctrine that was not in alignment with even Jesus's teachings or what you would believe of a God that is unconditionally loving you, omnipresent, omniscient, and then they've created these these rules 
that they want you to follow that I always was confused by because they were contradictory to what you would believe how God would be. Like even yesterday, I heard um, a video of, oh, God's going to let his wrath out on the earth. And I said, oh, my God. No, this is, if, if there's any wrath on this earth, it's human wrath. It's not, it's not God's wrath at all. But they, we have, there's this, you know, image and identity of what God is like of him being, you know, yes, very forgiving, but also, oh, it punishes people and it's mean to people. And, and so there were many, many different man-made rules that I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And I, you know, I would ask my priest even as a little girl. So the big one for me was, I remember eight years old, he was at my, at my school. I'm like, yes, yes, I get one-on-one time with the priest. And so I said, if I can't get to church and I pray to God at home, is that okay? And he said, no, God is at church. Jesus is at church. It's not okay. You know, maybe fine. Like, you know, the odd time, but no, you need to get yourself to church. And so, you know, here I was eight years old, walking far distances by myself, because if my family didn't want to go, I needed to go to church because that's where God was. And so it kept God outside of me my entire life. And so we just call it God. Every religion calls it something else, right? But it's all, we're all talking about the same thing, this belief that there is something more than just like life here Mm -hmm. and that there is an intelligence beyond just our, our minds, our brains that is controlling everything in this part, in our, in this world and, and potentially in other universes as well. And so um, I always, I always had that connection. And so when you say, what is the difference? It was that when I realized that God was actually inside of me, which always made sense to me as a little girl and that I could connect with that at any moment, anywhere I am, that you, you all, you, for me, all I need to do is close my eyes and I'm there and I'm in that space, that eternal and infinite part of me, that energy part of me, the energy that's in everything around us that I can connect to that of which I am, that we, we all are, and and be with that part of myself. So that's, for you, spirituality is an internal connection to that universal conscious, consciousness, and religion is that control system that's been built around the concept of the universal consciousness to not allow you to have access to it only through that component of the building the individuals who direct and so forth is that for you that's the that's that separation kind of thing yeah, um, some, outside yeah, yeah to that some thing. some religions are very open um you look at eastern philosophy religions where it is about connecting with the universal consciousness it is about letting go of things and we had that conversation about letting go of material things to be more at peace and more at one with the universal consciousness and for you it's not about letting go of everything. It's more of accepting the fact this is where I am and this is what I have, but that's not the thing that makes me happy. What makes me happy is the internal connections. Um, can you elaborate on that one? I know I just brought that out um, as, a, as a concept. The idea that letting go of things is not 
universally required, accepted. There are certain aspects of some philosophies, uh, especially Eastern philosophies that say you don't need things to be happy. In fact, divest yourself of everything and you'll be happier. But your idea is that that part of it, that doesn't, you don't need to go through that exercise, that extremity. You don't have to suffer to get to happiness. For you, it's happiness is found from accepting the inside, if you could elaborate. It's an innate part of who we are. It's our original nature, which is that that energetic part of us, right. that the energy. And we now know that, you know, science is, is proving more and more of this, that everything is energy. We just can't see the energy that we're connected to, that everything is one, that I say that I wish we had special goggles to actually see the energy that is streaming off of everything. And I liken it to like those hot days when you can see the heat radiating off the pavement, that there's an energy that's coming off. That energy is radiating from everything. We just can't see it with our eyes. But if you and I were standing, like, I mean, there's energy connection even like this, but if we were like side by side, we would even be able to see the energy that's, that's, connecting the both of us but unfortunately we believe we're separate right. and divided from each other and and nature too like if you actually knew you were connected to nature would you hurt it no it is sustaining us and so because we believe that we're separate it feels easy to be able to hurt other people to be able to hurt nature and all of this but if you know that you're connected to all of it that it's part of you why would you ever want to hurt something that you're connected to um and so it's that that idea of connecting to that part of you, the infinite and eternal part of you is what I feel differentiates from like organized religion, that everything's on the outside. You know, there's certain practices and rituals that you have to go through in order to prove, you know, your love for God or your connection to that. Whereas if you don't need any of that, it is actually more of an internal thing rather than than an external one and the material things whether you get rid of them or whether you have lots of them have no bearing on you connecting to that to that space within you okay. which is only your spiritual self okay so uh, the concept of of being connected to nature i can throw another analogy there's a grove of i think it's poplar trees somewhere in the us it's a massive forest and it turns out they've done studies and found out that it's a single organism that the root system is all intertwined it's all one unique entity that looks like a forest of separate trees so if you as that saying goes you can't see the forest for the trees you're standing there looking at a tree that's a tree only that tree is the same as that tree and that one and the entire forest then they're all interconnected underground you can't see the interconnection but you can see the trees and if you were an understanding individual that you're standing in the forest and you think i'm standing on the ground of one thing this is one thing. This entity exists. It spans square miles. And the same is true with what you're saying with people and energy, that we are all connected under the underground, so to speak. We don't see it. We look like individuals. We look like we're not connected to one another. We walk around and maybe once in a while fist bump and there's a connection. But no, we're actually connected already. And it's becoming aware of that connection that makes us feel a little better about where we are in the universe, so to speak, in the sense that, oh, now I know I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. I have this interconnection and I am happy about the fact that as an individual, I'm not an individual. I'm part of a whole. Mm -hmm. 
It's beautiful. That analogy is beautiful. Um, and it would be like a physical one to describe something to, for something we can't see. Yep. Because we can't see it with our, with our senses, but I believe that we can feel it, that our emotional self is designed to translate energy that we feel as an emotion, but it's actually taking that which is invisible and allowing it for us to sense it through our emotional self. And that's where we can feel that negative energy and that positive energy that when that light comes into the room, you're like, whoa, you know, everyone turns around because it's like, you just feel it. That person is just brilliant and beaming that positive energy, vice versa. When that person that's like a black cloud comes into the space, you feel that too. And you're like, oh, like what's up with that person, right? Because that our emotional self is translating that energy for us, that which we cannot see with our eyes or hear with our ears, but our emotional body is actually translating, communicating that energy to us. And so we just don't know, we maybe don't even pay attention. You know, that's where that emotional intelligence comes in to actually hone in to what you're feeling and saying, hmm, you know, what is my emotional self trying to tell me about this space that I'm in, this person that I'm, you know, talking to, or, you know, or the space at work, let's say, or my office, or even your home, your bedroom, there's an energy in everything that we just, we ignore, right? We might rationalize the situation with our, with our mental self and say, well, doesn't feel good, but it's okay. I make a lot of money at this job. Well, it's okay. They're my boss. They're my best friend. They're my partner. It's okay. They don't really treat me all that well because they're going through a low time or because I don't think highly about myself. So I just continue to, to subject myself to these things. But our emotional self is actually saying, well, you need to listen to this. And so what's happening then is that essentially our mind is supposed to be a slave to the heart, that our mind is supposed to, to then say, okay, if I don't feel good here at work because my manager is demeaning or my colleagues are all negative, and, you know, there's lots of indicators of where, of where you know, this door is closing and I need to maybe walk through another one, right? And so our mind then is supposed to say, how do I honor my heart? Because we tend to associate our emotional self with our heart. And, and how do I maybe uh, look for a new job? How Maybe I need to go on Indeed, or maybe I need to like ask around or, or wherever with how I can make the switch. And uh, miraculously, again, the universe has been probably trying to push you out of that space, that the situation has been getting progressively worse. Because it's been pushing you to that to that edge there where you're like, okay, I need to go look for another job. Well, it's been sending you signs for a long time. You just maybe you've been ignoring it because you allow your mental self to just rationalize situations that are actually not that good for you and, and not um, having you honor your emotional self and the communication it's sharing with you. Right. So you, what you're saying is, is the rationalizing mind um, it's in its own context. So when you meet, when you're in a situation, you have situational context that you apply that's from you. And you look at the situation and you say, this is the context. You don't know what the actual context is from others in the room or from the situation because you only have your perspective. But your internal 
emotional context. That is more of a linked and that because of that, you should trust it more because it is not singular. The rational context is singular based on your own ideas and your own perspective. But the emotional context is that link context. And therefore, if you feel this isn't good, it's probably something you should trust because it's interconnected and therefore feels, I don't feel right here. That's an emotional context that makes more sense than the brain saying, yeah, but nothing's really bad here. Nothing's happening. I don't see anything bad. You know, this guy is just standing there and, you know, I'm, I feel like there's something wrong, but I don't see anything wrong. Ignore the, I don't, you know, the rational context and apply yourself to looking more. Is that what you're saying? That, that, that feeling and putting yourself better in, better context related to emotional context as opposed to uh, the mental, the rational context. So what I heard from you there too, was you also integrating the spiritual self by talking about intuition, mm -hmm. gut instinct too, right? That it's that small little voice inside of us that is really our higher self that is linked to all like that um, infinite intelligence that is that if we remain open to it, we can that voice becomes louder and louder. And that voice is the one that's going to lead us towards our happiest life and the life that we actually came here to live. However, again, some and how we connect to that is different for everybody. But I think um, from what I heard you say is also us opening and listening to that additional communication that our intuition, our spiritual self is saying, mm, you know, I don't, maybe you should leave this relationship or maybe you shouldn't go down that path. And so ironically, um, that happened to me the other night that I usually walk around late at night in, in you know, our community feel, I, I love walking at night underneath the stars and our community is so quiet. And the moment I left my house, um, there was this bad feeling. And I thought, this is weird. Like I, I walk at night. So there's the, the rational mind saying, Teresa, you do this all the time. Like, it's fine. Keep going. So again, I keep going. And then something else kind of creepy happened. And then I was like, oh, I feel like someone's following me tonight. Like this is, just feels odd. And so um, and then there was a situation that happened um, a little later on on my walk, which I think, like, thank God didn't go the way that it went. Um, but it was like the whole time. And I just thought, oh, my God, my intuition this entire time was like, I don't think you should go um, on this walk tonight because something is off. And it ended up being something is off. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you listen to uh, people's stories about like, you know, they're runners or, um, you know, they've done something a certain way and that that day just felt off and they didn't listen to it because they're like, oh, it's fine, whatever. And then unfortunately, it, it you know, it, it turns out that there's this incident that they felt they felt badly about like something inside them was saying, don't go down that path. Don't, you know, don't take the shortcut tonight, you know, just do the long and you think, well, but I can save 15 minutes, but it's like something. Yes. Inside you. And so we really, we need to trust, learn to trust that more, learn to practice and like really hone into because there is that element of our of ourselves as well that is trying to guide us, as I said, to safety, to happiness, and to the life that we really came here to live. If right. we only listened to more of that instead of of our of our mental self. 
So you're talking a lot, we're talking about feelings. And I know in our discussion before, when we talked before, um, we talked about you can feel happy, but you sort of need to be happy. There's a difference between the sense I'm feeling this way, but is that the whole of it? I mean, you can sort of, I feel okay, but in fact, on the inside, being okay is something entirely different. Um, can you walk me through the differences between feeling and being for all aspects of things, as opposed to we can focus on happiness, but there are other aspects in life that the being of it is more important than the feeling of it. So if you could please take me on that journey. Thank you. Thank you. So we look at happiness as either a state of mind. I see lots of that happiness is a state of mind, but happiness is more than just our mental self, right? So we all have our mental, emotional uh, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual self. We have all those four components. And so it is really about aligning all of those aspects. And when we do that, that is where we are going to be happy because we are aligning the physical, mental, and emotional self with the part of us that is already happy. So our original nature, our essential self is love, peace, and happiness. And we see that innately in children, that when they, they're they here, little kids born into this world before our claws get into them, they are love, peace, and happiness. They are that to everything and everyone outside with nature. They are picking the insects up. They are admiring the flowers. They are kind to each other. They are always happy, all of that. But then as they, as I said, the world gets its claws into us and then has us starting to feel a whole host of other emotions along along with those. So it is really about coming home to that, which is always within us, but that we've lost connection to. And so in order for us to do that, our mental self has to come into alignment, our physical self comes into alignment, and our emotional self. So it's more than a state of mind. It is also more than a transient emotion that we feel when things are going well for us. So, you know, on vacation, I feel so happy. Okay, but that's more, it's actually more pleasure than it is happiness or joy. I actually use happiness and joy synonymously. Um, Some people view happiness and joy as two separate things. Um, I view all the transient uh, emotional part that we will feel as pleasure and then joy and happiness for me are both um, synonyms of each other, meaning that it is that unwavering, abundant, And we feel it again as a state of being, that emotional self, how we experience that. Yes, we feel it through our emotional body. We feel it through our physical body as well, that when we feel happy, we feel light, we feel energetic, right? It's like, whoa, I just feel like I can keep going and on and on and on when you're immersed in an activity that it feels really good. And so our, and physiologically, our body responds to that also by, by secreting various happiness hormones into the body that also helps us to physiologically feel good. And then there's our mental self that is a component to that. Do, should we be looking to the bright side of things? Absolutely. Should we be thinking positively about things? Yes. Should we be looking for all of the blessings instead of focused on the negative things and all the things that are going wrong? Yes. Should we be looking for the things that we have versus the things that we don't have? Yes. So our mental self has to 
come in alignment with the part of us that is all, always happy. But it's like those other parts have to come in. And then once that happens, that's where that true inner happiness is felt that we are happiness, then it's not situational. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'll only feel it when this happens, or I'm only going to feel it when, you know, I'm in nature on vacation, or when I'm, you know, exercising, or when I'm out with yoga, or when I'm out with friends, or when I'm at the hockey game, or, or all the things that we attribute our happiness to. Right. Which is like during the pandemic, that's what happened. People said, how can I, how do you expect me to be happy when I can't go to the sports games, when I can't network, when I can't go to the movies, when I can't go to the restaurants, when I can't travel? How do you expect me to be happy? And it's like, wow, that's because you have tied your happiness to these external things. But those external things are only a vehicle that help you to connect to a place inside of you that is always happy. When you know this, so this is the key part of my message, Stefan, is that happy, the things that we associate our happiness with, as I said, are, is just a vehicle to help us to connect to a place inside of us that is always happy and happy in abundance. Because, And I'm saying that too, because people say, well, how can I be more happy? <laughs> what other things can I do to help me to feel more happy? We, you, There is unlimited happiness, just like unlimited love inside of you as well. But you just have to connect to that. And how each of us feels that happiness is different for everybody. Some people feel it more as a sense of peace. Some people feel it as a sense of like fulfillment. Some people feel it as a sense of like energy. So that's why it's very subjective. It is difficult to measure, let's say, and even difficult to define in the sense that how each of us interpret that happiness is different for everybody. But I will really want people to understand that it's not about the restaurant. It's not about the vacation. It's not about the people. It's not about any of those things. When we are participating in those things is when we are, as I said, are, we're connecting to a place inside of us. So it is important for us then to know and to have our happiness toolkit, which is those things that can help us to connect. And I'm just going to pause there for a moment. Okay. I've said a lot there. <laughs> you actually have the one thing while you're pausing, because you had mentioned a hierarchy of, of self, of mental happiness and physical happiness, but the one you didn't speak about, and maybe you can think about and then, you know, move forward with is spiritual happiness. I'm going to use this analogy that let's say that happiness was uh, a fountain. And so it's there, it's flowing, it's beautiful, abundant, it's ever flowing. And so it's about bringing those other aspects to come and be nourished by the fountain that is there in abundance. So the, the water that is there, it's streaming through is, is love, peace and happiness. It's all of those things. And so those practices that can help us to align the other aspect. We should know, like, what are those physical practices? Maybe what are those mental ones? What are those emotional ones that, that help to bring you to that place inside of you that is already, it's there to be, like, it's nourishing you. People think that also the spiritual self is not something that we have to necessarily even engage in as a practice in the sense that 
it is the part of us that nourishes us. It's not something we need to nourish. We go there when we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we're having a bad day, when we're sick, when we can't think clearly about things, when we need to make decisions, when we're confused, when we're sad, when all of those other things around the world is causing us to be and feel a certain way, we go to our spiritual self for guidance, for that love, for that nourishment. Then when we go there, it's like, oh, so for me at the end of the day, it's like, I can't wait to be with that part of myself because it's there that I regenerate. It's there that I heal. It's there that I get guidance for like how I can approach a situation different tomorrow. Because when we connect to that, as, as you're also saying, that we connect to that, that infinite intelligence, that divine energy inside of us that is all knowing, which is where inspiration happens, great ideas happen when we can connect to that place inside of us. And so we don't have to do anything to nourish that part. That part is already nourishing. It is, is how do we connect to that place in, in those other ways? So do we connect to it with our, with our physical body through like sport, through play, right? Playing with our pets, playing with our kids. We can connect to that mentally. How might we connect with that? Is it through books, through podcasts, through music? How do we connect to that? Um, same thing with our emotional self, maybe through dance, through um, art, through cooking, that these are the, the those activities that help you to feel energized and exciting, could be through learning, as you said. So there are various practices that when we do them, all of a sudden, we're in flow. And that is, you know, a, a scientific term for we're really connected to our spiritual self. When someone is in flow, you're there, you're connected, you're in the zone right? People, athletes will say. Okay. And so it's, it's that it's like, wow, everything is just easy. Everything is just flowing. Everything just is like, and you know, there are various things that we do. The aim is how can we live from that place every day? How can we remain connected where it's not a segmented thing? Like, you know, you wait to do it at the end of the day, or maybe in the morning when you're practicing gratitude, for example, gratitude is a wonderful practice that can help you to, to connect to that place. And so then when you're connected, you know, because you just feel so good when you're there. So related to that, um, that we were talking about growth, we're talking about healing as well for those individuals that haven't taken the journey that you have. Um, do you see healing and growth as progressive? like a step-by-step, step, you gradually move up a ladder of, of different things. I know that you refer to your program as a step program, uh, but do you see it as progressive or is it a process for the individual that uh, it's individual in nature and it's selective, that they need to work on this area? And then in their own time, they'll say, oh, and I think I need to look at this as well. And then maybe this over here as well. And they they select where they need to go because you it's not a forced thing. It's not a, you have to work on your feet. And then you can work on your knees and then you can work on your hips. And after that, we're doing the core. If you could take me through that. So, um, yes, my, the, my coaching is called the steps, but it's not necessarily that you have to see it as a stair formation. Um, because we have to remember that we are always whole, healed and complete now. We are perfect now, exactly as we are. Thank so you. really, this idea of us moving 
higher or bettering ourselves in on the stair would would suggest that we're now broken or that there's something wrong with us and that now we have to do these things that to somehow be, like better ourselves and perfect and and development just the idea of personal development feels very much like that that you know I'm somehow defective right now and only until do I do these things will I somehow be better versus understanding that the truth of who you are is perfect already and it is a really again about aligning those other aspects to that perfection and understanding your magnificence now just as you are and and aligning your mental self to that right so when we have limiting beliefs about ourselves and we're self-sabotaging ourselves and when we're our worst critic we are not in alignment with our perfection and our truths and so recognizing that part and knowing that that is the real and true part of us. And then we can therefore make changes again to align. So when I, when I connected to that place through meditation, I thought, wow, I am, my mental self is so mean to myself that I was never pretty enough, never skinny enough, never athletic enough, never smart enough, never enough of a lot of different things. Honestly, my worst cheerleader, sorry, my worst critic instead of my best cheerleader, putting myself down all the time. You're a loser. You're fat. You're never amount to anything. You can't do that. That all the external voices that I had heard growing up through like bullying and other things had become the internal voice that we play. And I'm not alone in this. We all have that negative Nelly inside of us that's always telling us how we're not measuring up, how we're not worthy of things, how we're not enough of a lot of, or too much of something, right? We're too loud, we're not loud enough, we, you know, we're, we're too tall, not tall enough, like lots of different things. And we have that internal voice that we have to wake up to because we've been playing those, those same messages, those same thoughts on repeat our entire life. And it's only until we wake up to that can we then create new neural pathways, creating a new story in our mind that we tell ourselves. And then bringing our emotional self in alignment that I was hating on myself every day instead of loving and appreciating myself and having compassion for myself. And so it's like, when you recognize that, it's like, then it opens you up to, well, what changes do I need to make so that I, again, I align to the, to the truth of, of who I really am? This has been another edition of the Hopeful Radio Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes.